Well, family, it is so good to be reminded that Jesus is our way maker. He is our miracle worker. He is a God that is doing things that are impossible, right? And so as we get to continue and look at, man, how God is working in our midst, man, I, I need to be reminded that often he's working supernaturally when I have my mind's just fixed on natural things. Right. I think about things I can see and I think I can control, but I'm reminded that in faith, man, God is doing stuff behind the scenes that I could never take credit for, I could never pray for, but God is on the move. Yeah. He's working right now in our midst and he is active and moving. We get to continue this series, as Tori talked about last week, about trust God, about having our faith in Him. And so as we're diving in today, we're going to look at how we can build on that. Because one day our faith will be realized. We will see Jesus face to face. We won't have to hope anymore. We will see Jesus face to face. And in fact, in, in Titus 2.13, we see that, man, it is our blessed hope that we'll get to see Jesus face to face. And so whatever you're going through, whatever you're bringing in, in fact, if, if we were in person, I would say, hey, come on, you know, whatever you're bringing in today at Martin, whatever you walked in here with today, like, we just wanna pray that God would speak to you. And so wherever you are watching this, I'm praying that God would speak to you. And you can even pause this right now and just pray and ask him, God, would you speak to me? I need to hear from you. Because with everything going on in my life right now, I need you to put my hope back in you. I need my hope in you and not myself, not in my circumstances well, in this good. world. And so pause this, pray that, and let's ask God to lead us and speak to us. Because whatever he has to say is so much more important than what I have to say or any of us have to say on this video. We want you to hear from God. And so as we dive into the word today, we're gonna look at a story of a woman who really was desperate. And she was desperate to hear from the Lord. She was desperate for a miracle from God to say, God, I need you, you are my way maker. I need you to do this, I can't do this. And so we're gonna be in 1 Samuel 1 and 2, that's in the Old Testament. And so if you wanna flip back there, that would be great. Grab your iPhone or whatever you got in the scriptures. Physical scripture is great, go for it, okay? But we wanna dive into where we want your eyes on the word. And this is the story of Hannah, a woman that desperately needed Jesus, desperately needed to look forward to a savior. She was desperate in her moment and in her circumstance. She wasn't what the culture said was valuable. And we'll see that in this story of Hannah, we can find hope too. So if I look at Hannah's story, it's a story of her praying and having a child, a son named Samuel. But if I stop the story right there, I would really cheapen what the gospel is trying to communicate to us right here. I would cheapen the fact that if I just said, hey, just pray more like Hannah, just be desperate for God like Hannah, then man, God's gonna give you everything you need and want. That's not what we're about. In fact, I would want you to just punch me in the face because I'd be missing the gospel. I'd be missing the point and the truth that man, Hannah's story points to Jesus wow, and points good. to a savior that all of us need desperately. And so as we dive into the word here, as we look into the word, man, I need to remind my own soul that what happened 3000 years ago was real and it has real impact for my life. Wow. And so this story might have happened in 1050 BC. And how does this ancient story affect you and me? Well, these were real people in real life, in real time, experiencing real problems and failures. And so for you and me, we are real people in real time in 2020. What a year, right? Like, this is a hard time. We desperately need Jesus too. And so for us to fix our eyes on him and off ourselves and find our hope in him is really the desire of our hearts today. And so I'm reminded just of the value of scripture 
If you've been in quarantine and really haven't been diving into the word or even just saying, what does this have to do with me? Man, Romans 15, four says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Yeah, Man, this is good. We need hope. And in fact, if you look at the situation and the context of what Hannah is living in, uh, you can go to Judges 21, 25, which says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, but everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that not sound familiar, family? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so we see that she's living in a world of chaos. We are living in a world of chaos. We're experiencing a world that is desperate for the hope of Jesus Christ. She's living in a world that is desperate for the hope of of Yahweh, who they know and love. We get to experience that hope. We know that hope is in Jesus, and their hope is to look forward to his coming. And so for us, man, we can look at these people in this context. They're looking for a king. They're saying, God, you're not enough. I want my leader elected. I want my king appointed. I want somebody from my tribe to lead this nation. Man, doesn't that sound like us? We're putting our hope in people other than Jesus. And for us right here, we can be reminded through the story of Hannah 3,000 years ago that God is moving and he is the one who's bringing hope. And so really her story starts as a story of hopelessness. And so I'm actually gonna look here at 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 2 to set this up for us. It says, there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerom, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, I love how this whole book starts out. It's called the Book of Samuel. It's really about King David and King Saul, right? But here it starts out with, there was a certain man from Ramathon. Like, what does that mean? This is definitely a story starting. This is definitely something that's gonna lead to more. But really, it's important for us to know there was a certain man. That just means Elkanah was a nobody. He's a nobody and he's in obscurity and yet God's gonna do something with this man. Does that sound like you and me? Absolutely, okay? He's a nobody, his family was a nobody. And in verse two, we learn something very important about him though. We learn that he has two wives. Why is that detail thrown in there? You might be reading the word and it's like, why is this in here? What does this mean? It's a big deal because this sets up the rest of the story. This is foundational to understanding this story of hopelessness. And so as we first look at this here, we see that the dysfunction of Elkanah's family brings forth desperate prayers from Hannah. So before we go further, I'm actually gonna ask my baby mama-to-be to read the scripture. So Laura, would you take it away? Hey y'all, it's Laura. I am so happy to read scripture with y'all today. I'm a covenant member here at The Well and I serve as a community group shepherd with the 290 East group. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel 1, 3 through 11 today. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, 
As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Thanks, Laura. Man, as I look at this, I see this foundation in this story right here of these two wives. There's a conflict immediately. And we see if one had not been a nuisance to the other, the other might not have prayed the way she did. And so even God is using even Peniah right here to provoke Hannah into prayer. You might feel provoked right now into prayer. Somebody might be provoking you into prayer. You might feel provoked by society, and that is good. Desperately take your prayer to God right now. Because if you're frustrated and if you're saying, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. I'm confused. Why are these other people prospering and I'm not? What's going on, God? Man, we see the right response right here with Hannah. She chooses to take her frustration, her confusion, her anguish even, we'll see, and she gives it to God. She says, God, I can't do this anymore. I love it right here. In verse 9, it says, Hannah rose. She stood up. She had had enough. You and I might read over that, but it is clear she stood up. That's a big deal in that culture. This woman is saying, "Uh uh-uh, I am done. I can't handle your accusations anymore. See, to have children in that culture was a good sign. It seemed like there was favor from God. And in fact, it wasn't just for the sake of having children. It wasn't just to fit in. It wasn't anything like that. It was actually also political and theological. It meant that she had value in that culture. And for us, it'd be easy for us to kind of put that culture down and say, man, they were way behind and all this. You're right, it's 3,000 years ago, okay? But the other part of that is that, man, what she's experiencing here is real, She's being measured to the culture. You and I are being measured to the culture, and we're measuring ourselves to the culture all the time. And right here, we can see that Hannah's presumably being accused of sin even because of the fact she can't have children. Because she's saying, hey, I can't experience this. God, what have I done wrong? And so she's being accused by Paniah. And also, presumably, you could see Hannah might not have been able to have children, and therefore, Elkanah married Paniah. And so it was like she felt put to the side. Here's a first-class wife and a second-class wife. Nowhere in Scripture is polygamy a good thing. Just want to throw that out there, okay? (laughs) Everywhere in Scripture where we see that, we see that there's always a backdrop of pain and frustration where therefore God is going to do something incredible and he's going to bring this to the light. He's going to bring this frustration and this pain. I mean, Elkanah, poor guy, he's trying to comfort his wife. He says, am I not as good as ten sons? I mean, dude, you are totally blowing it right here, okay? Your wife is in pain. And in fact, she doesn't respond to Elkanor or Peniah, which tells us a lot about her heart. Hannah doesn't take her response to people with aggression. She takes her response to God. And you and I could really learn from Hannah in these days right now. When you're experiencing frustration and pain, when you're being accused of things, do you have to defend yourself or are you going to let God do that for you? 
And in this, we see that Hannah's provoked to prayer. In fact, it says that God even closed her womb. He's the one that did that. He's doing this for his good, for his glory, and our good too, and Hannah's good. And so we're gonna see right here that, man, her predicament, she's not the first one to experience this in the scriptures. You had Abraham and Sarah. God did a miracle there. You had Rachel, and even in the judges, the mother of Samson was barren, and then God brought forth Samson. You see that with Elizabeth and Zechariah in the New Testament, that John the Baptist was born, and then obviously for a lot of us, we understand the story of Mary and Joseph. There's a miraculous birth time and time again. Each time that does, God does this, it's through people that were obscure. It's through people that not, the world would not value. It's through people that God wants to use. He uses the unlikely. He uses you and me. Isn't that incredible? We're not that great, okay? And so just remember that as you're listening to this story of Hannah, we can actually relate to her in a big way because God is using somebody that the world would think is just hopeless and she's stuck in hopelessness. And so if I look at even Mary and Joseph, I love Mary's response to when the angel comes to her and speaks she doesn't get mad. She doesn't get frustrated. The only way she knows that this is going to happen, that Jesus is going to come from her, is that it must be God. It's the same with Hannah. If this is going to happen, it's going to be you, God. If this is going to happen, it's not me. It's not my effort. Would you remember me? Would you do this? And so her story of hopelessness now becomes a prayer of hope. And so we're going to head there together and really reflect back on 1 Samuel 1, 11. And you can go there with me. 1 Samuel 1.11 says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Man, I got chills when I realized how she's addressing God. When I was studying the scripture this week and I got to dive in, that O oh Lord of hosts, whoo, this is a big deal. We could really go to church here, Anthony. She is acknowledging God's military might. She has experienced in her lifetime that God is a conqueror, that God has defeated armies and enemies of Israel. And so that is all she has witnessed of God. And in fact, this is the first time that name of God is used in all of Scripture. Hannah's the first one to use it. It will be used 280 times after Hannah uses it right here. Wow. So a woman in her desperation cries out, and she's appealing to God in her prayer by what she thinks is the greatest thing God has done. She's appealing out of hope because she knows, God, I have seen you conquer enemies. I have seen you crush armies. Surely you can give me a child. When you're praying, are you praying remembering that this is the God of angel armies? Or are you praying just by what you can see in the natural right now? Are you praying and understanding that, man, God is doing something supernatural? He is way bigger than you or I can understand. The Lord of hosts, those hosts are angels. He is the Lord. He's over and in charge of all angels. How does that feel right now, okay? He's big. He's beyond us. We can't comprehend that. She's saying, God, I acknowledge that you are the Lord. You are the general of angel armies. If you are that, I know you can do this. And this should change how we pray because, man, we're going to see that Hannah is the, the one that is really ushering in this idea of God even to us today, to understand that he's over the armies of heaven. In her life, she had seen and witnessed God do these things, so it gave her hope to pray this way. 
You and I can pray out of what we have seen God do, what we have experienced, how he has changed our hearts. He has softened many of your hearts. He's taken many of you out of addiction. He has freed us. He has healed us. Man, he's healed me. If I don't pray, believing God, you're the one who heals, I am like insulting him to his face. When I pray, am I praying with the hope of what I've seen God do? Man, I have to think here, I give my hope to God. If I'm giving my hope to God, I'm expecting that he's gonna care for it. I'm expecting he's gonna hold it, he's gonna cherish it, and he's gonna let me experience what he's gonna do in that. He's gonna change my heart to put more and more hope in him so that I will look forward to seeing him face to face. But my question to you today is who is holding your hope? Is it you? Are you holding your hope? Are you saying, I'm gonna hold on to this and I'll give God a little bit of this? Is it your spouse? Do you put your hope in your spouse or your potential future spouse? Do you put your hope in your boss or your salary? Do you put your hope in the Lord of hosts, the only one who can hold it? Man, I'm fearful for us that we put our hope in ourselves so much that we miss out on what God's doing behind the scenes. We get to understand that God is gonna continue to work and move. Hope takes waiting. Hope anticipates good. There is pain in waiting. There is purpose in waiting. And for some of you today, you've been waiting for a really long time. Don't give up. Don't give up because you might be praying something today that God's gonna answer 20 years from now. And that's actually for his glory. We don't know how many years passed for Hannah here, but it says year after year. And so year after year, she continued to go worship. She continued to go pray. She continued to step into the presence of God and say, hey, I want to submit this to you. And he is faithful to answer those prayers. He is faithful to answer. I mean, I remember personally, I was learning how to walk again at age 21. And I was told, man, if you get an x-ray and it's good this month and your leg's good, you'll be able to walk this month. That happened seven times. And going back month after month as a kid that really didn't understand what was going on, I was confused. I was frustrated. Why is this taking so long? So test after test, and I don't think seven months is like some biblical number for me, but (laughs) I do think God's teaching me in a really cool way. Because time after time I went and time after time I heard no. And when I finally heard yes, it wasn't about me. It was about giving glory to God. I think the same thing happens with Hannah here. She's saying, okay, God, I'm gonna surrender this son to you because it's been time after time. But if I had had this son three years ago, it would have been about me fitting into the culture. But if I have this son now, I can surrender him to you. And so she has shifted and she's matured in the Lord during this time. I think of one of my good friends that I grew up in church with and he was actually a dad of some of the buddies that I had in church in Washington, D.C. And his wife came to Christ the first Sunday they showed up at the church. And he came to Christ eight years later. And in those eight years, God worked on Randy's heart in incredible ways. In fact, every single person got to pray for Randy at some point. It was so cool to see in this small church how God was moving and working in his life. And what God taught me is then as an eight-year-old kid, I got to see the whole church stand up and pray for Randy because Randy wanted to go on a mission trip. And Randy had considered himself an atheist, but he saw the love of the people in the church and he said, you know what? I wanna go and share about this love that I'm seeing. This is a great community. And so my dad, the pastor of the church, had to say, Randy, you actually can't go on this mission trip because 
you say you're not a Christian yet, okay? And so there's some disconnects here. And so a few weeks go by and Randy comes back and says, you know what, I'm ready to go in. I'm ready to say yes. I'm ready to put my hope in Jesus. And I'll never forget the picture that I saw because of course that next week my dad had Randy get up and share his testimony. And he said, I came in here skeptical. I couldn't even sing the name of God and the songs that y'all were singing. I hated being here, but I love you people. And I found hope in God because of you. And so my dad then paused him and said, if any of you have prayed for Randy these last eight years, would you stand up? And from the oldest person to the youngest person, probably me in there, every single person stood up and tears flowed. And his wife just crumbled in her seat because she saw that God had not left her alone. In her prayers, she had so many praying with her. And now today, they're actually counselors, and they pray for people walking through marital struggles together. They bless people in that, and it's incredible to see how God has redeemed and repurposed them for the sake of the gospel. And so we get to see that God does the same thing with Hannah. He's taking her story of hopelessness. She's praying a prayer of hope, and now she has hope to surrender. She has hope in surrender. And I love what Tim Keller writes. He says, Hannah took charge of her life by utterly surrendering to God. She had no control of her life. She had no control of her having children or not having children. But when she surrendered her life to God, she got to experience what God wanted for her. Not just having a child, but having peace with God. Because if you notice in in the chronology here, the story is that she has peace with God before she knows she's pregnant. She has peace with him, and she's able to step in and say, you know what, there's no more sorrow. Before the prayer is answered, she has peace with God because she's heard from God, and she's given her vow to him. I can think here she could have easily idolized her son when he came. She could have easily made him her prize, but God had matured her beyond that. I pray that God matures me beyond idolizing the things that I can see more than Jesus. I pray that for you too, that we would grow and mature as a family and that we would value God's word above our own. I think too about just the setting here that's going on. Man, the temple she's going to, it's not being run really well. This ain't the best church, okay, guys? There's actually some wicked stuff going on. She doesn't dedicate her son to the church, although he's kind of called to ministry before he comes out of the womb. Like, he's not having to do this. She's giving her son up. She's surrendering her son. And so in this, we see that she's surrendering her son not to this perfect church, not to this perfect plant. She's surrendering him fully to God and saying, whatever you want to do, God, I'm lending him to you is the the word she uses there. And so her son is lent to the Lord. And and I think here is, man, this is her most prized possession. And she's lending him back to the Lord. What do you need to lend to the Lord today? Right now, as you're grabbing for security in the middle of COVID, as we have found a new normal, as your frustrations might be boiling, as you're looking towards November and saying, I don't want to even talk to anybody, man, what do you need to give up to God and surrender and say, I have hope enough in you, Jesus, to surrender my prized possession? Because this is what Jesus did for you and I. His Father in heaven surrendered his prized possession, Jesus Christ. He freely gave of his one and only son so that we might have life. Guys, this is the gospel right here. 
Ladies, moms, if you're watching this, you might not have thought of yourself as God the Father or seen how you image God the Father. You might think of yourself more as the Holy Spirit and how that often happens in Scripture. And we often teach that too. The Holy Spirit's called our helper. Women are called helper in Genesis. We see that. We understand that. But right here, moms, you can image God the Father by lending your children back to God. Just as God the Father lent his son to us so that we might be saved. Hannah is lending Samuel to God the Father so that you and I would actually get to know Jesus. Because what God's gonna do through Samuel is incredible, guys. He's gonna be the one to be the forerunner for the whole kingdom of Israel. He's a kid that wasn't even supposed to be born in obscurity from a dad who they don't even know all of his generations. He's gonna anoint the kings that are to come and even King David who the Messiah is going to come from, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so I I look here with joy. I look here with anticipation because I see that God is moving and working in ways that we will not understand. He is moving beyond her anxiety and her, really, it says even vexation. If you go to verse 16, she says, Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. This is hard for her. She's praying out of real emotion. When's the last time you prayed out of real emotion and pain, right? It says, then Eli, the priest answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Guys, again, before she knew she was pregnant, she was removing the sorrow because God had done it already. He was already moving. I think here of the ultimate hope of our Savior, the ultimate hope of Jesus Christ, that we can know that he is gonna bring our faith and our hope to completion when we see him face-to-face that we talked about. That he is making a way. He's a miracle-working God, and the greatest miracle is our salvation. That he has taken down the wall that removes us from God, that blocks us from God. He has made a way for salvation for you and I. So when I think of Jesus and I think of how it goes all the way back to Samuel, I think, man, it would be so easy to lose heart right here. It would be so easy to think, man, I don't know how I can keep waiting and anticipating. God, I'm even tired of this COVID right now. I can't handle four or five months. How did Hannah handle years right here? I'm struggling just to continue and say, God, I feel depressed. I feel down. I feel lonely. Maybe you do too, where you're saying, God, I don't know how I can continue. And we're actually going to see in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, man, how Paul charges us and reminds us that we're not looking to the things of this world for our hope. We're looking to heaven. So I'm going to ask my buddy Tyler to read that for us. Hey, well, family, I hope you guys are doing well. My name is Tyler Collins. I'm the missions resident here at The Well. Now, I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians um, 4 verses 16 through 18. So do we not lose heart? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Man, God is moving behind the scenes. He is doing things that you and I cannot see. He's working in ways that we cannot see right now, and that is good. Because like Hannah, if we had gotten what we prayed for years earlier, we might not surrender it to the Lord. 
And so right now we can thank God that, man, we can look forward to heaven and know that we can surrender our lives now because we know what is coming is so much better. It is a weight of glory beyond comparison. We can look forward with anticipation. I see in Hannah's life as she went along, she'll pray a prayer that actually impacted even the prayer of Mary as she heard about the news that she was going to have Jesus. And so in 1 Samuel 2.10, it says this, He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will plunder, he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Man, this is Hannah's prayer of gratitude based on what God had done in answering her prayer. This is a song from her heart that is gonna impact generations. I guarantee you when she prayed that, she did not think you and I would be talking about this virtually 3,000 years later. I guarantee you that when she surrendered her son, she did not know that he was gonna anoint the kings of Israel. I guarantee you that when she cried out to God in her anguish, she did not expect to be used as an example of faithfulness and prayer in our day today. But because of her simple obedience, because of her desperation, because she was provoked to pray and not to lash back out at Penina, man, we get to be beneficiaries of her prayer. We get to see how in verse 10, man, she is pointing to Jesus. She says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Guys, his anointed translates to Messiah, to Jesus. And it is Jesus that has made a way for you and me for salvation. It is Jesus that we ask, hey, would you hold our hope? I'm gonna give you my everything. I'm gonna give you my hope and my future and he will not disappoint. It is Jesus who's fulfilling the Genesis 3.15 promise that she was looking forward to, that there will be one who will conquer the enemy and crush the head of Satan. It is Jesus who's fulfilling the Genesis 12, one through three promise to Abraham that you will be fruitful, that you will impact the earth, you will bless all nations. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who is the one who's fulfilling this Davidic promise to King David who Samuel anoints. It is Jesus who is going to be the one who gives you and me life. It is because of Hannah's faithfulness and prayer and asking God and her desperation and being provoked to pray instead of lashing out that you and I get to know that Jesus' ancestors were anointed by a man who came from nowhere, from a woman who is desperate before God. It is all about Jesus, and we get to see that throughout the scriptures that he is fulfilling this story of hope. And so as you and I are filled with some stories of hopelessness, as we try to plan and look towards the future right now, it can be pretty hopeless. We can say, man, I don't know what is coming, and guess what? That is when we get to pray. That is when we get to take all this anguish all this pain, and take it to God and say, would you hold my hope? I can't hold it by myself. I can't do this anymore. Would you remind me that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is even the one that's fulfilling what Hannah prayed 3,000 years ago? And so we're gonna pray that. We're gonna ask that God would give us hope in him. 
that he would restore our hope in him where hope has been attacked, where maybe you've been provoked to act in ways that don't represent Jesus, would you turn whatever has been provoking you and turn it towards Jesus and say, thank you for holding my hope. I need you, I love you, and would you fill my life up with your hope and confidence that you will answer my prayer in my pain I can trust you. In my waiting, I can trust you. So let's pray that together today. Jesus, I thank you. You don't want us to operate out of fear. You don't want us to operate out of worry. You're asking us to bring our hope to you today. As we look around us, we're in a world of chaos, a world of transition. And from what we can see, things look really bad. But what you're doing behind the scenes is so much greater than we can understand. And so we pray right now, God, would you remind us that our hope is in you? That for those of us that have said we trust you, that we say we wanna put our hope in you. Maybe we've been following you for years, but we haven't been living like we hope in you, God. We just give our hope to you today. And we say, would you build our faith as you hold our hope and as you care for us today, God? Would you comfort those that need comfort? Would you bless us as we listen to you, as we listen to you speak? Would you fill us up with your joy? God, I thank you for Hannah's story. I thank you for how you used a woman that was unlikely to be used in her society for your glory. And today we get to be reminded that you are her hope and you are our hope. Lord, we love you and we ask that you would bring people into your kingdom right now in the midst of the chaos of this world, that they would be provoked to pray to you. And even folks watching this right now, would they say, I wanna be provoked to follow Jesus because I have nothing else. I'm tired of responding to the accusations of this world. I'm tired of responding to the pain of this world with anger. I wanna turn to you, Jesus. And so Lord, I pray for those that are even praying that right now. Would they trust you and follow you and know that you are the one that makes the way for salvation. Would you meet us where we are in our pain? And would you bring us hope? And would you be the one to work miracles for your glory, for our good? We love you, Jesus. Amen.